Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. But I'm not going to do the advertising role for today's podcast. Um, I think since the last episode, which was last week, where we had Sam Schneiderman on to talk about the Democratic primaries, so much has changed in that very, very short period of time. Uh, And every day we as Australians and global citizens are becoming more and more aware of how this coronavirus is impacting billions of people around the world. Uh, And it's on all of us to do our part to ensure we can contain the spread of this virus as best we can uh, and hopefully save uh, thousands of lives uh, along the way. Um, So I just wanted to take this opportunity, I'm not going to do some sort of preachy thing, but I just want to reinforce with all of our listeners, and I know that um, all of my listeners that are on, that uh, listen to the Social Democratic Podcast are very, very intelligent people and completely understand the the urgency that is being presented to us as a community um, and understand the severity if we do not act appropriately. Um, but you definitely know people out there that possibly don't recognise uh, what is about to happen to us in this country. Um, so I just want to really encourage you guys to um, continue to do good work in your community by spreading the word uh, of warning to everyone to for people to take things seriously, to heed the advice of our uh, chief medical officers at a state and a federal level and, you know, do things like wash your hands, uh, stay at home um, with the same people. If you, you know, if you are, if you can work from home and if you're obviously working in frontline services to, uh, to just look after yourselves while you do that, uh, check in online uh, or phone loved ones, you know, don't go mix with a whole bunch of different people, listen to our leaders, go for a walk, look after your mental health. Um, this is going to be a really, really rough ride. Um, and send heaps of support if you can for those people that are working on the front line, people working in the healthcare centre, sorry, the healthcare um, industry, uh, people working in retail at the supermarkets, people working in the supply chains, uh, all the different sort of essential services that have been defined by our governments. Give them plenty of support in ways you can do if you can do that. Um, even consider getting organised in your own community. You know, do things like make. Uh, contact through like letter drops introducing yourself and giving them your own contact number to all your neighbours either in your apartment building uh, or in your flats or on your side of the street or all on your block Uh, maybe inviting them to join a Facebook group or a WhatsApp group or some way in which you can communicate online on a regular basis stay in touch share resources with those people um, we are really, if you just look at what's going on in Europe uh, and what has happened and before the people of um, Asia and in North America and in South America and Africa, um, this, is, uh, this is unprecedented, um, certainly in my lifetime and in many people's lifetimes, and we need people to step up and show leadership even in our local communities. And I crap on about organising all the time on this podcast. Um, But, you know, organising is about finding people to take on leadership roles. And leadership is about accepting responsibility for enabling others to achieve shared purpose in times of uncertainty. And right now we are in times of uncertainty. We don't know what is going to happen. Um, And we've clearly, the last, you know, week has demonstrated that this is moving at speeds that we can't comprehend So we need to get organised now. So over the next few weeks, um, you know, we're going to keep this podcast going. Um, I'm not sure where this podcast is going to go because normally we try and talk to people who are doing really cool things right now around the world um, in politics and in campaigns and sort of social democratic movements and whatnot. But right now, um, most of the population are either preparing for this virus to sweep through our community um, or they are already dealing with that right now. Um, and so they're bunkered down in their homes. They're not doing their regular jobs. Um, and if they are, they're doing it under very uh, variable and different circumstances. Um, but anyway, we're going to keep on proceeding. So today's episode is actually, I thought I'd try and make it a little bit more lighter, and we're going to just talk about sport and how coronavirus has impacted sport, not just uh, here in Australia, but around the world. And I've got a good friend of mine, um, Sean O'Sullivan, who... Um, has got his own AFL podcast, um, but I've known Sean for a very, very long time and he's been sort of in and out of the AFL community uh, to come in and talk about how um, coronavirus has impacted sport essentially since 
early March, and we're going to have a bit of a chat about that. But if there are other people out there that are doing amazing things that um, want to talk about what they're doing, hit us up uh, at the sort of all the various Dunn Street socials that you uh, know about. So Dunn Street, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, or just um, shoot us a message on one of those platforms. Um, but we're going to just try and see how we go over the next couple of weeks and maybe you know months um, to talk to folks that are dealing with this this pandemic. Anyway, I hope you're all well. Please be safe. Look after yourselves um, over the course of the um, weeks and mon- months to come. Um, but let's uh, let's get to uh, let's get to today's episode. Okay, we're taping this one on a Tuesday evening in uh, Melbourne, Australia, and on the line now is the host of the AFL podcast, Bottom of the Pack, former Box Hill Indoor Futsal Finals MVP 2001, (laughs) Uh, and a good friend of mine, Sean O'Sullivan. Welcome to Socially Democratic. Stephen, good to be with you. Um, I, uh, look, I've, I've been thinking about this episode um, for a while now, and I've actually been broadly thinking about the podcast, my podcast, Socially Democratic, um, as we deepen into this um, coronavirus crisis that's sweeping the the globe. Um, And I'm very mindful of the fact that um, we can possibly be doing, or this will be at the forefront of our minds for the better part of you know, eight months maybe. I mean, who, who, who the hell yep. really knows? You have a podcast that is actually dedicated to the, the <laughs> AFL. Yes. Uh, this has impacted our lives in so many ways in such a very short period of time and I think every day is a new day for us and we'll continue to see what how it changes how we live our lives. Um, but did you foresee that being the host of an AFL, AFL podcast that you would not have as much to talk about as of Sunday night? Yeah, not going to lie, Stephen. Content is a genuine issue at the minute for the uh, bottom of the pack crew. We're uh, we're we're talking about favourite games from previous years and all that sort of thing when we get together. And so, are we going to have a chat? Are we going to even are we going to even go on with this? What a, what a, would he do? So it's uh, yeah. I mean, it's just such a surreal world. And I mean, our specifically, we're going to be talking about sport today. But obviously, it's only a a small piece of a of a of a much bigger puzzle. But it's. Uh, it really is still in that surreal stage where we can't really believe what's what's going on, and I think that was shown to a lot of people when they started watching football on the weekend with with empty stadiums. When did it first occur to you? When was the moment that this pandemic uh, the, that the penny dropped in your own mind, in which what I like to call the Doc Brown from Back to the Future moment. Um, you, you, th- this is some serious shit. Yeah. Well, well, with with my, uh, I view most things in life through sport, as you know, Stephen. So I think it was uh, from a, a sport perspective when uh, countries in Europe started to even talk about, let alone when they first happened, the the notion of of playing in front of empty stadiums, which. Nowadays, now, once we've gone through what we've gone through, seems a, an almost BAU thing for the last couple of months. But the notion of that in late January, early February was truly preposterous. I mean, why would you need to, why would you need to do something like that? that? What would sport be like in empty stadiums? So as soon as that talk started uh, occurring in Europe, and probably it's hard to put dates on these things at all. It was all such a fluid thing, but that was probably mid to maybe late Feb, that conversation, late Feb, early March, that conversation started to occur. So from a, with my sports glasses on, I think that was the moment where I started thinking, hang on, this is, uh, this is a bit bigger than just something that happened in, in China that would uh, cancel the, the AFL game in China. This was slightly, uh, slightly bigger things are going to be impacted. And it's one of the things I've noticed about this, um, this crisis is that it is... The, the, the news and the information and the impact um, is moving as quickly as the virus is spreading. Mm. Um, every day um, is a new day. Every day certainly is not a great day. In fact, you know, for many, many countries, every day is getting worse and worse and a worse. worse. Yeah. Um, but it is 
moving at such a pace that even when we first, when I sort of um, gave you a call and said, you know, I, I find it interesting that the AFL are going on with this football season in the face of um, mounting pressure both at a local level but also knowing what has already transpired across the world and you've sort of started to allude to that and we'll talk a bit more of that in a moment um, from saying to you we should do a podcast about this to <laughs> Sunday night in which Gil McLaughlin the Chief Executive Officer of the AFL comes out and says okay we're suspending the season and I was like oh that's okay we can still talk about it because it's still incredibly relevant um, mm. and I had all these questions in there about but you know the NRL and the A-League they can't go on um, and then, you know, last night the NRL come out and go, well, okay, we're going to suspend the season as well. And then even this morning, then the A-League the come out and go, okay, right, well, we're going to suspend the season too. So things have moved so quickly that by the time people listen to this podcast, everything we're going to be talking about is completely out of date. And, that, and that's, that's the hard thing to, to talk about. I mean, from a media point of view, if they're covering it, a, an article that's 24 hours old, a podcast that's 24 hours old is – it's just so dated and it's so uh, – the, the goalposts have moved so much since that time. So it's, the, the, the lifespan of, of conversations around this subject are, are so finite because of that very reason that things just move and change so quickly where, you know, three weeks ago we wouldn't have even considered the AFL season being impacted in any way, shape or form to the point of – we got to Sunday and games were going on and we're thinking this is just wrong. Mm. You know, these these games, you know, it's nice to have footy and we all love our footy, but should this really be happening? I felt that, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, you mentioned before about in late February, early March, domestic and international sporting organisations and leagues starting to talk about, oh, okay, this is, this is starting to get serious. I think certainly what was happening in Italy, and in particular northern Italy, mm. was beginning to dictate how sporting organisations in Europe were going to approach their existing seasons or their upcoming events. Uh, but I f- think that the, 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 the dam broke with the NBA and, um, in particular, uh, Rudy Gobert, who's a centre for the Utah Jazz, <laughs> Um, who contracted uh, the virus. And these amazing events on March 11 in which the referee or the, the doctor has run out onto the court as the teams are warming up and saying, we've, we've got to stop, we can't let this mm. game go, which is, uh, you know, that's bizarre. Like that just, you, you can't fathom that that would happen. And from that moment on, March 11 with the NBA season being suspended, March 12, the F1 cancelled here in Melbourne and then that quickly followed with a whole bunch of the, the, the racing calendar being cancelled. On the same day, the, the uh, NCAA um, cancelled March Madness. Yep. Uh, Major League Baseball suspends Springs Training. The NHL is suspended. The NFL draft is suspended. The next day, which is Friday the 13th, um, the tennis is suspending their yep. season. Um, in athletics, the Boston Marathon, the London Marathon, the Paris Marathon, the Rome Marathons are all um, pushed back. The Masters and the US, US PGA, uh, the Women's uh, European Tour, all cancelled. And then the EPL, which is arguably, in terms of viewership, the biggest mm. um, domestic football um, uh, team uh, uh, league in the world, suspends. But March 13 was a huge day for sport in terms of Im- the impact that this virus is having on how they manage what was your thoughts as this was happening? Did you know? Did, did you sort of start to then think about, well, how are we going to respond here in Australia? What's what kind of impact is this going to have on us? Absolutely, I did, and it's a good point you bring up with the the, the NBA because the NBA was the one that I think a lot of sports fans around the world you didn't because the NBA is a you know global phenomenon. Everyone around the world follows it. As soon as they pulled the pin, and as you mentioned, pulled the pin. Pretty instantaneously, there was no slow phase out or anything like that. We were just, hey, down tools, we're off. Um, I think that started to resonate with people who go, oh, gee whiz, if the, if the NBA is stopping and it doesn't get a whole lot bigger than the NBA, well, there is no reason to suggest it won't impact locally. Yeah. And then, of course, as that domino effect happened, as you mentioned, all those other sports around the world, it was pretty much... We were the there was a stage there a week ten days ago where 
who were pretty much the only country in the world that were on face value proceeding on a, a business as usual um, plane with with our professional sports. And you had to ask the question, why? Even if you didn't have an intimate knowledge of the, the virus and its impacts, you're thinking, I'm looking at all these organisations and they've just downed tools and said, right, that is it. It's obviously, you don't need to know a lot about it to think that there is a level of seriousness about this. And why isn't that necessarily being shared domestically? Were you, I mean, by, we talked about Friday the 13th as being a key date, but then from then it sort of, it was just a deluge. Like the next day, all European domestic football leagues um, for both men and women competition were suspended indefinitely, or to the end of April at least, and obviously indefinitely. We'll point out the Belarus League is still holding out, major flex (laughs) by them. Um, yeah. I, mean, I hope their I hope their TV rights are up. They could make an absolute fortune <laughs> if they start selling them off now. Well, that's a very good point you made, this Sean. Like, if you are looking for sport to watch, and you can somehow get onto that feed, there it's is a, a it's a seller's market at the moment. There, they really they could get themselves a they could get themselves a pretty penny here, and they're a very short supply. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> um, international domestic cricket, uh, cycling. You know the one day classics, the Giro on St Paddy's Day. Uh, you, you, yeah, you, you know it was serious, really, don't you? Both you and I knew it was serious that yes. we weren't getting together. I think, and I actually thought about this. It's basically the first time we've not had a beer together on St Patrick's Day since I did live in um, total isolation because that was when I was living in Adelaide, um, which was a decade <laughs> ago. Um, you know, the cycling, Giro, one-day classics, and then your wife end up saying, look, we're not even going to bother doing the Euros this year uh, on, yeah. on um, sort of around March 17. It took until last Sunday for the AFL to come out. What, what, what do you, you know, we're not privy to the, the internal thinkings of the AFL, but were you surprised that it took them so long to come out and confirm that the season... Sorry, actually, first of all, were you surprised that the AFL took so long to come out and confirm that the season would go ahead? Uh, they... Short answer to that is yes. I was borderline staggered that it was, it was going ahead with every... Every passing day of, you know, effectively umming and ahhing about it, it, it sort of reminded me of that uh, that professional footballer who's had too many concussions and his doctors told him, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't play anymore. And he goes off and sees ninety nine doctors and they all say you shouldn't play anymore. And then the hundredth doctor says, oh no, I reckon you could probably get away with it. And he goes, oh sweet, I'm all right to play football. It was it seemed to be that sort of case where they were looking for. They were just looking for one person to tell them that it would be okay, and then, you know, in spite of all the the knowledge that was out there, you know, around the world, um, saying that it, it's 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 just not, and and then they announced they're going to give it a go, and they were shortening the games, and they effectively acknowledged that look, this probably won't last long, but let's sort of get in what we can, and I just. Whether for the, look, I'm not in a position to comment around the health aspect of that, whether it, it impacts on the players or not. Ah, uh, Sean, just do it. Everyone else on Twitter is. Yeah, I, I was I was about to say I've I've got a Twitter account, which means I'm officially qualified. <laughs> so who, what a, who am I kidding? Yeah. But I, I reckon I'm pretty qualified as an Australian to know how Australians react to things. And as our uh, esteemed leader said, we wanted, what was it, Australians to keep being Australian or what have you. Mm. Now, unfortunately, one of our prevailing attitudes is the she'll be right attitude. And I think when a lot of people saw that AFL and NRL were effectively, well, they were continuing. Sure, the crowds weren't allowed in, although they were for round one of the rugby league. Um, You know, effectively, the message that was sending was that will be okay. So then you saw, and I, I'm a big believer in the fact that things like the what you saw at Bondi Beach and people just continuing on was the, the sort of almost surreptitious message they were getting from the football codes to say, look, where well, we're going. We're going on fine. There's no reason why you should. Sure, it's an issue and you've got to be careful and, you know, especially old people have got to be careful and whatever narrative has been run like that. I just think it just sent completely the wrong message to the, Australian public about the gravity of the situation to the point where you've now seen government come out and and be infinitely more forceful around these things about what they were because I think with hindsight they've probably realised that 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 was the case. 
Do you think, how much is the culture within the AFL leadership, and maybe even to a certain extent, and now um, New South Wales and Queensland listeners would certainly have a better formed view of this as well, but the mm. culture within those two major football sporting codes, that, they are, that they're bigger than anything else? Um, I remember when I was a young man, my dad always told me that he always thought that, that you know, I grew up in country Victoria um, where footy, you know, was the dominant sport in the summer mm. and, you know, it was, and it was actually very sort of like the blokes played footy in the, summer, in the winter. So, yeah, the blokes played footy in the, in the winter. The girls play netball in the winter. The, blo- the blokes yep. play cricket in the summer and the girls play yep. tennis in the summer. Like it's very, very defined. Yep. Um, and you certainly don't play soccer. You know, and that's where I grew up playing. So I always felt there was a bit of a cultural yeah. uh, divide growing up in rural uh, Victoria. Yeah. You were on the outside looking in a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that they were bigger than us. And Dad always thought that they kind of, that football had a bit of a fault mentality that, you know, there's this, we're a domestic code um, and we need to look after ourselves, but we need, and we need to protect our interests. We can't be uh, infiltrated by, other sports and other interests that that may come in and and uh, try and create an environment where people can probably play multiple different sports or, or whatnot. Um, and I just kind of think back to like when Australia was bidding for the FIFA World Cup in the mid two thousands, mm. how the AFL were incredibly unhelpful with that bid. Um, yeah. And there was a thinking there that they were kind of, um, you know, I mean FIFA for God's sake. There's an argument that you know. They are the, the cold's hidden hand that's running the world, you know. Um, <laughs> um, you know, I'm sort of this, on, on Reddit, there's some conspiracy theories by absolute dedicated AFL fans thinking that the coronavirus was started by FIFA to try and suspend the AFL season. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that it, the, the, the message they, the AFL felt were sending almost seemed like, you know, we're bigger than this coronavirus. They, at no yeah. stage did they kind of acknowledge the severity of what is going on globally and that we're immune from this, pardon the pun. I, I certainly felt I felt that to an extent with, with Gil McLaughlin, the head of the AFL. I felt it a lot more with Peter Volandis, who's the head of, uh, who's the, head of the, the NRL. Um, now, I, I know a little bit about Peter Volandis. He also runs thoroughbred racing in New South Wales. He has an interesting... He has an interesting portfolio at the moment that he's effectively running two. He actually has two jobs that he's running thoroughbred racing and he's running effectively the NRL as well, which is interesting enough in itself. You could nearly have your own podcast on that. But he um, he's a pretty cutthroat bloke, Peter Valandis, and he you know there are there are two ways. There's his way and the highway, and he's and he's a businessman. And, and you look at it, and Gil McLaughlin is is the same. These sports, you know, Stephen, that we sort of grew up with. They're, they're massive bloody businesses. Mm. The amount of money that they turn over is ginormous and they only have a finite amount of, of uh, resources or places where they generate that income from. And the AFL, to an extent, have a little bit of a, a financial buffer built in. Rugby league, I can assure you, certainly don't, to the point where there are a number of NRL clubs that are looking at weeks, not months, before they have to shut their doors. I mean, we've seen the last 24, 48 hours, AFL clubs have, have sent home effectively up to 80% of their staff um, because they just they, they can't pay them. When the game stops, the, the income stops. And when the income stops, there's, there's nothing else to, to pay these, these people with. And your average, um, I can speak more on AFL clubs and NRL clubs, but... You only need to look into coaching boxes and AFL clubs nowadays. There's going to be 15 people there, and they've all got a laptop in front of them, and they're all doing this, that, and the other. I mean, they're all getting paid, you know, reasonable money. It, it adds up really, really quickly. And these guys are looking at it um, from a fiscal perspective. These guys are, are business people who happen to work in sport. So they're ultimately looking at the business. They're looking at the balance sheet. They're looking at the bottom line. And Peter Volandis in particular, I mean, some of the desperate measures, they were going to quarantine this town in central Queensland or something where the only people that were going to live there were rugby league players and they were just going to churn out games of football every day. I mean, it was 
absolutely ridiculous some of the stuff that they were coming up with. Such was the desperation because he's looking at it thinking, you know, there's no more money from, from Foxtel, sponsors, you know, the TV rights, everything gone. That's, that's all they've got coming in. So it was, it's, it's desperate measures. And these, uh, uh, the narrative that uh, our sport needed to be played or AFL needed to be played to sort of lift the spirits of the, uh, of the people and things like that. I mean, if you believe that, I've got an uncle in Nigeria with an excellent uh, investment opportunity for you because that's, that's just, um, you know, that's just rot. They were doing it to, to, to try and squeeze as much as they could in to squeeze every dollar out because they know that a lot of these clubs, especially in AFL, there's 18 clubs, Stephen, 18 clubs, and not a great deal of them are running tremendous profits. Even And these are the good times you're looking at here. This is the, this is the boom time, and still only half the clubs are really making consistent profits. So now we're in the worst of bad times. Things are going to get pretty ugly pretty quickly, and... And Gil and, and Peter Volandis and co were very much aware of this when this started popping up. I just wondered about the when they were first weighing up the options to uh, either suspend the season or continue on, and when they made that first announcement that that, that would continue on, I just wonder if they thought through the ramifications from a medical perspective. And as you said before, you know, I'm the same as you, I'm not an epidemiologist, but, um, you know, We've all brushed up on our epidemiology over the last mm. two or three we're weeks. A lot closer, we're a lot closer to being one than we were a month ago. Indeed. I can now pronounce it without st- stumbling. So that's I was going to say you're, you're one up on me in that department. <laughs> um, but the inconsistency of trying to justify how the players would be okay, like they're encouraging them to not um, high-five each other or touch, mm. t- touch each other yeah. on the hands and um, fist not fist bump, but elbow bump after they score a goal and social distancing um, at certain times of the game. You know, meanwhile, they're literally physically in... I mean, football is an incredibly physical contact game and they're sweating and breathing on each other and, and you know, potentially infecting uh, infected droplets are landing on each other in this contact yep. sport. Um, yep. But how, don't shake hands. But don't shake hands. How yeah. can this comply with the directions from the chief medical officer around social distancing? Just this inconsistency, and not just—it's not just the eighteen men or women on the on the park uh, plus the bench. It's as you said before. You, you know, football teams are a big operation. There's there's the coaching staff, the backroom staff, you know, medical staff, the front office that goes into these organisations for both the men's and the women's teams. Uh, you know, it only takes one person, as we've noticed, yep. to get this, uh, contract this virus. And each one of those people have families that they go home to and then they've got kids that go to school and that's how these things spread. Yeah. Mm. Did, did the AFL, did the NRL, did the A-League, and then I'm in from this either, did they mm. sit down and actually, you know, did, was there someone actually there to actually give them some assessment of this, I wonder? Yeah, it, it really does feel there was uh, there was no contrasting opinion in the room that sort of said, "Hey guys, let's just stop for five minutes and take half a step back and see what the rest of the world are doing and and see what we're proposing and do we honestly, hand on heart, think this is the the right thing to do?" I think those respective rooms were were missing that that person. Such was the enthusiasm and nigh on desperation to. Um, to soldier on, um, these things were these things were overlooked. I mean, you look at things like the the shaking of hands and, and no huddling up after the. That's the bit I loved. You couldn't put your arms around your teammates to 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 sing the song, but you just tackled thirteen blokes, you know, in two hours who were sweating all over you and breathing all over you and what mm-hmm. have you. I mean, it was pure PR, all the the handshaking and all and all that. That was that was just pure view stuff that was that was that like i say that was just pr stuff just to make it it look good but i just you just laughed and the people i talked to just laughed so you know there's a pack of 20 blokes that are all just getting up and helping each other up and tapping each other on the head when they kick a goal and things like that but Mm. yeah make sure it's a fist pump or an elbow an elbow match don't for god's sake don't don't shake hands it was it was 
bordering on ludicrous. And it was surprising that from a media perspective, no one really called that out. That's my, Well, that was my next question. Like, yeah. what was your take on the AFL media's um, reaction to this? I, again, AFL media, the, there's a lot of people, Stephen, we talked about football clubs, but people in the media, a lot of people make their money off this game. A lot of people make their money. And you, you talk about media, there's a dedicated uh, channel on pay television that does nothing but AFL football content, and there's a there's a rugby league one that does exactly the same. So the the AFL slash NRL industry is a is a big one, and I I don't think anyone wanted to uh, not rock the boat, but I, I it probably wasn't the time in times of crisis. You, you know, you don't want internal bickerings and things like that. But I think there's a difference between internal bickerings and someone maybe asking a question or two around why you're doing something that literally nobody else on the planet has decided to do. Mm. Um, and I, I think now, and it's interesting, I, I read an article in The Age today for Greg Baum that was, you know, asking that question whether that, you know, did we send the right message by playing that one round of football? Did that end up doing more harm than good? Because a lot of the media talk around it was, oh, it was great for the community. It was great for people love their footy and, you know, everyone's locked away in isolation and they need something to, you know, for the mental health of the country and things like that. But I, I tended to think, and, and Greg in his article tend to allude to this as well, that it, rather than doing that, it, it, it sent the wrong message about where we're at in relation to this virus. And as a result, could have made things could have made things worse. Maybe not directly, but certainly indirectly in the message that it sent by by playing. And that was my primary concern at the time, and it and it and it still is now. I felt that I, I read that article, to, uh, and I read another article earlier on, and from uh, from Greg Barm as well, and I felt like he may have been the lone voice amongst the fourth estate um, sports yeah. writers with respect to calling out this. I saw a interview, a video interview being conducted, which I assume would have been at half time, maybe on Friday night. Um, on ABC Grandstand between Carolyn Wilson, yes, um, yep. Mick Malthouse, uh, some other guy I didn't know who it was, and maybe the sort of the main host. Yep, yep, I saw that too. And that actually was the catalyst for I went. I need to do a podcast on this. Mm. Uh, Carolyn Wilson, I look. I, you know, I'm not. A, I don't follow a lot of AFL, but yeah. um, I get a good sense that she's an incredibly respected writer. Mm-hmm, and, absolutely. And I also correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there is she's controversial because she's prepared to write stuff that isn't always popular, but it's the right yep. stuff to write about the sport. Um, and she sort of gave a bit of a Dorothy Dixer question to Mick Malthouse about, you know, has the AFL done the right thing here by allowing the season to begin? Mick Malthouse, who I also, also think is an incredibly intelligent person, um, his response outraged me. Yes, as it did I. I actually remember retweeting that out that actual little uh, three or four minute uh, snippet because it, it blew me away. I wasn't aware of it until I stumbled across it on, on, on Twitter. And it was, and that's what confirmed my thought that this round shouldn't have been going ahead because it was, it was sending the wrong message to the, to the public. And, and Mick was sending the wrong message to the public in that. And I can kind of understand that Mick's a footy guy and, what this has really shown, Stephen, is there is a real AFL slash NRL bubble where they think, you know, that everything, because it's such a big industry and people live and breathe it, that there is just nothing outside that world that could possibly impact our footy. I mean, it's footy. We all go to the footy. Mm. Yeah, sure, there's a bit of a virus going around, there's a bit of a flu or whatever, but it's footy. And, you know, footy's got to go on. And that naive at best attitude... Um, prevailed really to the point which was the reason why round one went ahead and I think even by by Sunday uh, when the writing was on the wall that Gillen was going to make the announcement to pull the pin, uh, you know, I don't think that's aged very well for Mick, put it that way. Well, it just, I mean, not only was he saying that it's great that the, 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 the AFL men's uh, competition was beginning and going to continue, but he was mm-hmm. asking the question... 
you know, why isn't the VFL playing? And yep. why, why isn't local footy playing? Why isn't local footy playing? Why isn't Auskick playing? Yeah. Like, I was like, mate, have you not read a newspaper in the last mm. 48 hours that to understand this, epi- this pandemic that is sweeping the world, that is killing tens of thousands of people? Yes. And we do not, yes. we are, I don't think we're even near the tail of this. No way near. Uh, no. In parts of Europe and in the United States um, and in, you know, Asia and Africa and let alone our little island off the edge of Southeast Asia. Uh, um, and to hear it from a bloke that I think actually is a really smart bloke, yeah. uh, make these these remarks without considering the implications that it is going to have on the wider community and with armed also with the information of not just the global sporting community that have all taken a decision at least a week prior to these comments, mm-hmm. um, but also... Uh, you know, the, you know, remarks from both our politicians, um, from the wider community that have all said this is going to impact our country in ways that we do not understand. And for him to say, oh, I just think that, you know, we should get on with it. And then the remark, he said, well, when I walked here tonight, the pubs were full. Well, that doesn't mean that everything's okay. Yeah. Like, I was it like, And it doesn't mean it's right that the pubs are full. Yeah. Like, they're mm. just as dumb as you are, Mick. So what, you know... Yeah. Yeah, no, I was, um, yeah, I was, I was disappointed, but it cemented my view that uh, the people who are in that that AFL bubble just don't have the peripheral vision to see the to see the bigger picture. As in, you know, a game between Port Adelaide and Gold Coast not going ahead is the worst thing that could possibly happen in this country, mm. and it's really, really, really not. I mean, an example: the NBL had cancelled by the, by that stage. They were actually. I think it was two one to Perth in a five game series, and and they and they pulled the pin. I mean, even if you aren't aware of the the greater picture, surely an organisation the size of the NBL just cutting their final short halfway through, you're thinking, oh, that would take something fairly drastic for uh, for a competition of that size just to stop their grand final series halfway through. And yet, no, AFL is different. We're, we're bigger, we're better, we're stronger. You know, she'll be right. Mm. No, she won't. And with attitudes like that, it's going to take longer and more people are in, are in danger and in harm's way because of it. I saw uh, one article I think I read in the, maybe the, in The Guardian, I can't remember the name of the journalist, but they had referred to it as the decision to go ahead as, the, as gross social irresponsibility and disrespect to you know, thousands of people who have died because of this global pandemic. So that kind of summed it up in some respects. Yeah. T- turning to then uh, Sunday afternoon uh, when Gil McLaughlin came out in front of the media and announced that the AFL would suspend all men's games up until the 31st of May and review that and also cancel the AFLW final series. Um, Surprised by the decision about the AFLW cancelling the actual season and not just saying that we will review picking up the remaining games at a later stage. Why did he go with the cancelling of the women's games, but just the postponement of the men's? Yeah. yeah. Good question. Uh, the only thing I can I can think of is that because they were, you know, effectively ninety five percent of the season was done to put that off potentially for six months and then have a final, uh, it, uh, I suppose it loses somewhat of its its luster as opposed to a season that maybe has only just started or hasn't really started. You can then build that momentum. I mean, that's a pretty lame reason for those four teams that were left in the final series to, um, uh, to hang on to. I think the mistake there... and. I know hindsight's a, a wonderful thing with these things, but I think the AFL were a bit naive because I genuinely think they did this in the hope that they would get a good month of football played. Now, whoever told them that, with the way the graph was going around the world and in Australia, was, again, naive in the extreme. I think there's a lot of naivety that's, that's, that's prevailed with some of these, with some of these decisions here because... Uh, they had the opportunity to actually just with the women's league, it would have been harsh on the other teams, but you had conference A and conference B. You just take the top of A and the top of B and they play a grand final. It's suboptimal, I get that, but we're in a world where compromise is king and you just have to make do with what you've, what you've got. So you, you would have had maybe a potentially unsatisfactory result 
but a result nevertheless. Mm. Um, again, hindsight's wonderful with that sort of stuff, but yeah, they genuinely went into this thinking that they they would get a month of football out, and uh, yeah, it's it's kind of hard to explain what made them what were they seeing that made them think that. He said, uh, Gil McLaughlin, um, when he made his remarks uh, on on uh, on Sunday afternoon. Sunday, yeah, yeah. Uh, he said that he sort of stood by their decision from the, uh, the previous week, uh, made f- uh, sort of following consultation with the government and the chief medical officer and said it was always possible um, that the advice from them would change, but it was the right decision to start the season and clearly it is now the right decision to stop it. Um, what My question, I think he went on to say that that is why we have acted immediately to take this step to play our role in the community and to protect the long-term future of our game. My question is, nothing really changed uh, in terms of evidence about the virus uh, from when he made that decision to when they decided to flip and shut down the uh, or suspend the season. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it wasn't actually the virus that was the reason and the spread or the aim of wanting to contain the virus. Um, it wasn't the health of the broader community. It wasn't the health of the players or the clubs that actually con- that, that uh, dictated their decision, but the actual logistics that were put in place that morning because on Sunday so much happened. Uh, yes, borders borders were closed. Politically, and yes. Got that in states and territories. Yeah. yeah, we saw New South Wales Premier, the Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews, uh, come out and say that uh, we're going to, you know, begin to proceed to shut down our state within the next forty eight hours. The, then the WA, Northern Territory, South Australia came out and said we're going to shut down our borders, maybe in Tasmania. Um, and I read an article uh, during the week in which it had, was implied that that was the the shutting down of the borders. And the logistical challenges for the players to be able to uh, fly into state to play games was the main reason why they decided to suspend the uh, season. Is that your read into it, or am I missing something here? Yeah, I agree. I think the the borders thing pretty much made it a a fait accompli. I think it it literally couldn't be done at. at at that stage. Um, but I think they were also realising it as the week went on because the games, of course, were staggered. So we had our, our Thursday night opening, our Friday night, we had games throughout Saturday afternoon and Saturday evening. So by close of business Saturday evening, we had six of the nine games played. And I, I think steadily throughout every game, I think the, the general public we're starting to feel less and less that this was the right thing to do. I think the novelty of Thursday night where the big opener with an empty stadium was like, oh, you can, you can hear everything and, gee, this is odd. So that novelty got through Thursday night and then Friday night and then Saturday afternoon and it, it was. I think the prevailing feeling within the public was that while it's nice to have footy back, this isn't really this isn't really footy mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, it's, it's not doing the job that we were hoping it would, it would do. And I look, I wouldn't be surprised if they also got a tap on the shoulder from, from government. Cause I think government may have been particularly the state governments, I think, as opposed to the federal government, um, were sending a message, whether it be subtly, you know, through the changes that they made to the AFL, like generally around borders and things like that to the AFL or whether maybe a, a Dan Andrews might have made a phone call and thought, hang on, mate, I think you're, I think you're doing more, you might be doing more harm than, than good here. And I don't particularly blame the AFL for that. They probably, they probably didn't see that coming until it happened um, where they thought that, oh, this is, this is just not feeling right. And then when those border closures came in, it actually probably became a logistical nightmare and even if they wanted to continue, I'm not sure they actually could have. So it actually got to a stage where whether they wanted to continue or not wasn't of great relevance because they just wouldn't have been able to do it. So it was, it was, it was interesting that I was uncomfortable from, from the start and I, I slowly as the weekend went on and the people I talked to about footy and things like that, even the people that were 
were really pumped to have it back. By Saturday night, they were like, yeah, yeah, it's not. Maybe this isn't the the, the right thing to be to be doing. And then that manifested in the in the decision on on Sunday. But I, I agree with you. I don't think it was a a drastic change from a, a health perspective or knowledge that we found about the virus or the all the players or what have you. It was logistics slash PR slash government telling them that in a not so subtle way that you're not going on anymore. If you, we fast forward to Monday uh, or today, actually, I'm, all these days are saying to blur. I was about to say they all, they all yeah, merge into one. Uh, they, yeah. When Peter Volandis, the uh, CEO of the NRL, um, finally uh, flipped as well and said that um, we're going to suspend the season, his, his quote was, the decision hasn't been taken lightly, but we have a world-renowned pandemic expert and they're very concerned at the rate of infection. <laughs> Oh, give me a spell. And that's what he said. This, that's what he said today. Whatever the hell yeah. they uh, suspended their season, I'm a little bit concerned now. But you didn't. You weren't concerned maybe two weeks ago. Like you didn't talk to that pandemic world-renowned expert that you had in your books. Yeah, he's got. Look, with the greatest respect to Peter Valandis, he's, he's got more than a little bit of used car salesman in him. I mean, he's. I mean, his reputation precedes him a little bit in in these sort of in these sort of matters where. You know he's not a uh, he's not a heart first kind of guy. He's very much a, a bottom, and he's been successful. I mean, you, you you can't knock him. The job he's done in racing in New South Wales, with some of the things he's he's implemented there, of of um, seeing New South Wales racing go ahead of, of Victorian of Victorian racing. But uh, yeah, it was when I saw that story about the 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 town in Queensland they were looking to play all the games in. I was, uh, I thought that would be half true that they would consider that mainly because mainly because he was in a, he was in charge. So yeah, no, this, this wasn't a this wasn't as you said a, a health based decision. This was purely a logistical PR. We literally cannot do this anymore. Decision as opposed to yeah, actually we've looked at the health reports and yeah, maybe this isn't the right thing to do. I mean, he did go on to say that, um, you know, as you mentioned before, be it, you know, that we're, we're, we're going to look at every option available to us next week, be it uh, air in other areas or in Northern Queensland, all options are still on the table. <laughs> oh, oh. No, he, he is that, he is that footballer who's going to 99 doctors. Oh, I want, yeah, and absolutely. he wants to find that doctor that tells him it's okay to play and he'll be out there with the boots strapped ready for action. If I was a sports journalist in that press conference, I'd go, Peter, really, do tell us all of these options that are on the table, like <laughs> yeah. Antarctica, the moon. Where else would you like to try and play sport without getting in, impacting on the rest of the community? But, it, but it's an impact, Stephen. It's, it's a result. You can see that it's obviously going to have a massive financial impact that's why they're running around like blue ass flies trying to make something somewhere happen to give their TV rights people some semblance of product so they can get some income in the door. Because there are a lot of a lot of rugby league clubs, and you could argue the, the rugby league as an organization, are very much living paycheck to paycheck. Now, this is not a good time of, of the economic cycle to be living paycheck to paycheck because the paychecks have stopped coming in. Mm. So the impact is going to be big and it's going to be quickly. And he, and he knows that. And he knows that. So uh, I think he was also holding out in the hope that the government would force him to stop, to which point his first move would be, we're happy to stop, but we need compensation. So I think he was also holding out. He wouldn't have minded Scott Morrison coming out and saying, oh, we want the NRL to stop in which case he would have come out, yeah, of course, no problems, we'll do whatever the government tells us, but here's our, here's our handout because we need money to be compensated. So there was a bit of tug of war there as well. Yeah, and I I did sort of pick up that a little bit on uh, social media and whatnot, that if the government had forced their hand, that therefore they wouldn't have to honour contracts and they could, you know, that sort of force majeure situation. Correct, yes. Um, I read in the paper this morning, $13 million, uh, comes from Foxtel... Uh, in terms per per round into per the, round into the yep. NRL, which is a huge yep. amount of money, and, and it's a large percentage of their overall income. And Eddie Maguire, I think today confirmed that both uh, the free to air station and Fox Sports 
Um, they obviously have paid money for this round, but then that money now has stopped and won't come into the AFL going forward. Um, it's funny, actually, because I remember listening to, I don't know if you heard that uh, episode of Bill Simmons um, interviewing Malcolm Gladwell uh, two or three weeks ago, back when the... In, the M- I did, yes, when the NBA was, was down. Yeah, yeah and they were talking about the contracts with ESPN and, you know, obviously they've sold television rights, uh, advertising rights for the, mm-hmm. for the NBA uh, final series um, and what those contracts say. Um, and obviously both those two guys uh, talking about it were not across that, but he, they wondered, you know, how, how detailed are these contracts when it comes to uh, circumstances? You know, who has... The, Malcolm Gladwell was saying... Who has the imagination to yes to, who, a, a weasel lawyer, their way out of these? Yeah, yeah well, to draft yeah. a contract that could factor in that if there is a global pandemic. Yeah. Then, Fair to say there wouldn't be too many with uh, with that in there. Yes. No, um, and I just wonder about the imagination of uh, Australian domestic and international uh, sporting leagues. Um, you know, it's not just the AFL and the NRL. It's obviously the A League, Super Rugby. Um, uh, you know, women's uh, cricket, men's cricket, uh, netball, you name it. So much has been impacted by uh, COVID-19. Um, I, I, must, I must admit, Stephen, you, you bring up cricket, there was an interesting point. Um, I did admire the Kevin Roberts, the CEO of Cricket Australia, uh, coming out and saying, look, for the next six months, we're, uh, we're not going to mess around. We're cancelling all cricket, <laughs> which is a really good... Which is a really good thing to do, just as your season is finished and winter is about to begin, where there wouldn't have been any cricket anyway. So I thought that was a, I, I did have a little smirk as I, I read that. And he I needs to go get a, a lottery ticket because uh, oh, his luck is on the dick. Absolutely yeah. unbelievable. Never been so lucky in their lives to have to fall. I mean, it was literally what a week after the the Women's World Cup game. Yeah, which is a world record. Uh, Ninety thousand people at the MCG. Amazing. Unbelievable. So I did, I did enjoy Kevin Roberts coming out, getting out on the front foot nice and early, saying we're the first sport that's really taking this seriously and we're going to cancel all zero games that we had planned for the next, uh, the next six months. And so I thought, that was, uh, I thought that was a good PR move and I found it rather amusing. It was quite good. I don't know if you picked this up, but I just noticed that the three major statements from the three CEOs uh, in domestic football codes over the weekend and through to this morning when they put out, mm-hmm. put out their media releases or when they did their front up to the press. Yeah. Uh, the CEO for the A-League, James Johnson, um, Gillan McLaughlin from the AFL uh, and AFLW and uh, Peter Volandis from the NRL. McLaughlin and Volandis, uh, their tone was very glass half empty. Don't criticise them for that at all, absolutely. This mm-hmm. is huge. Um, their opening remarks really focused on the impact that uh, this virus is, or the, the decision that they've taken is going to have on their game. Um, I, I think, uh, like, the, literally one of the very first sentences that Gil McLaughlin said was to say this is the most serious threat to our game in 100 years is an understatement. Mm-hmm. When he first started that sentence, to say this is the most serious threat, I thought he was going to say to our community. Our, you know, the Australian community, the Australian public. Oh, right. But yeah. he said to our game, and I went, oh, okay. And if I was like his media advisor, I'd go, let's lead off with talking about everyone before we sort of talk about inter- okay. about ourselves. I don't know, maybe a bit nitpicky. But yeah, there are, there yeah are, but I, I get what you're saying, but I suppose he's, he's in charge of, of footy, so I suppose he wants to stay within his portfolio, I suppose, and doesn't want to talk too much out of school about other stuff. I get your point, but... James, um, James Johnson from the A-League the said, as the largest club-based participation sport with nearly 2 million participants, he's talking about um, association... Hashtag, hashtag humble brag. Hashtag, yeah. I know, exactly. Uh, he's talking about association football. Uh, we have a clear and obvious duty to play our part in doing whatever we can to support the efforts to slow the spread of COVID-19. That was one of his very first sentences, he said. Okay, yep. Um, and also, the other thing I noticed was he was actually reasonably positive, uh, kind of glass half full thing, saying, you know, this is going to hurt us, but we'll, we, you know, we have to respond. And I actually think that the A League are the ones who are going to really be impacted by this. I actually fear, and I've got interest to get your thoughts on this. Mm. I don't think the A League come back from this. Well, they certainly don't have the resources and uh, people power that the AFL and NRL 
have. So it's it's certainly going to be a slower rebuild for the for the A League than it it will be for um for the other two primary primary sports. But again, maybe looking at this from a, a glass half full perspective, it's, this might actually be an, an opportunity for the A League. I think it'd be fair to say the last couple of years the A League probably lost its luster a fair bit within the greater sporting community. Would that be would that be yeah, a fair I, thing I, to, I, to I, say? Yeah, I completely agree. And I, as a long-standing member of the Melbourne Victory, uh, it's um, it feels like going to A League games now. It feels like I'm watching the Flint Tropics and Jackie Moon. <laughs> I'm worried that if someone does get a goal from the halfway, that it's going to send the Melbourne Victory bankrupt, or certainly the A League bankrupt. It's got that kind of vibe to it. Yes, at the moment. It, it, it certainly has that more more than ever. So. Again, this is very glass half full, but it, it, it might be an opportunity for them over the next few months just to reevaluate how they're going about things and, and what's working and more pertinently what's what's not and, and maybe gives them an opportunity to to rebrand and represent the, the sport and the A League um, to the to the public. But to your point, um, if I'm looking at a handful of AFL clubs that are struggling to uh, survive by the end of all this. Um, you would have to think there would be more than that from an A-League perspective that would would struggle almost to the point where if you take your, your, your primary clubs, for lack of a better term, so you've got your Melbourne, Sydney, Perth are very strong, Western Sydney seem to be very strong. Like a lot of the others, you start thinking, oh, gee whiz, they, they wouldn't need a whole lot to go wrong for them to... To, to disappear and uh, and a whole lot is going wrong. So uh, that'll be very much a, a wait and see. But it, it's, yeah, it's, it's. Um, I was going to say we have a, me and a mate have a competition. Every time we hear the word unprecedented, we have to, we have to skull whatever we're doing at whatever stage because, of course, everybody that talks about this saying we're living in unprecedented times, we've got to come up with a synonym for unprecedented that needs to be used. But uh, Yeah, the other one is uh, um, strange days, isn't it? <laughs> Strange, strange days, we, isn't it? We live yeah, in yeah, a little bit. Times, don't we? What yeah, gives? Yeah, right. yeah, oh, that's the other one. That's right. That's the third. That's the trifecta. We live yeah. in interesting times. Yes. Really? How yeah. so? Yeah. Tell me more. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, to the the A League point, it, it, that that could be a way that they can maybe look at this. While the the AFL in particular, of this has hit them at their highest of their of their high, and they and look, there are. To my point around coaches' boxes full of people, that that will never be the same again. The the amount of money that's been built up over time, the way this will drop back, the clubs just won't have the money to have that amount of people. So they'll cut down on IT staff, they'll cut down on fitness staff, membership staff. The, the amount of people that AFL clubs employ now, I know they're putting a lot of them off at the moment, they're not all going to come back. Mm. So it's just not going to be the same. And I think that's what maybe people are now starting to get their head around. It's not like, oh, you can go on six months' holiday and then you can come back and we'll all be sweet and it'll just be BAU and we'll, we'll all be living happily ever after. No, it's very much a, a snakes and ladders type scenario and we're just going down a massive snake at the moment. It's going to take a, a long time, if ever, to build back up to the levels that, that we were... Not not two months ago. My uh, my final question uh, to you before we wrap up is: notwithstanding the Belarus uh, Premier League that's still going, if uh, you had a magic wand and you could, in some bizarro scenario, enable uh, one particular sporting league <laughs> to be allowed to play, and obviously that can't happen, so. Um, and given that you follow, just like myself, a number of um, sporting, uh, different sporting codes and by virtue of that, different sporting leagues all around the world, um, if you could choose one that could either start or finish their season, what would it be? Oh, well, as, as Celtic fans, I think we both know the answer. We wouldn't mind the Scottish Premier League kicking off for another couple of months, but... Uh, on a, on a serious level, watching, I love footy. I watch way too much footy. Uh, I spend an inordinate amount of my weekends either going to games or 
or watching games, the amount of times that uh, friends have had to drag me away from TV while Port Adelaide and Fremantle are playing on a Sunday afternoon, which really shouldn't interest me at all. Um, yeah, I'm going to. It's going to be interesting this weekend how I, I handle it because it's, we got a little tease. You got a week of it. It wasn't the same. I felt a bit icky about watching it, but I watched every bit of it all the same. Um, this is going to be the first weekend of, of the next three months, if you know what I mean, from the perspective of it not being there. And I'm wondering, from a psychological perspective, actually, whether it will the one week will that just keep people going or are you sort of teasing them with one week and then taking it away? Would we have been better off from a psychological perspective not having any at all? Which is a, probably a, a different discussion for fans to answer. But look, in all honesty, Stephen, I, I love my AFL. And, uh, you know, I'm massive into the, like, fantasy football and all those little things that spin off from, from footy. They're all, you know, they're all obviously got the kibosh as well. So, um, so yeah, give me, just give me my footy back. I, uh, I, if uh, we had your dad on your sh- on the show, I'd like to ask him that question as well because I just want to um, point out a, a note that came from a good friend of yours and mine uh, and a friend of uh, previous podcast lives that we've had, um, John T. Ponder. He said to me, let's, oh, yes. let's revel in the fact that the only thing that can stop Liverpool from winning their first title <laughs> in 30 years is a global pandemic. And it was only a couple of, like, I don't, I don't know, Two, three, four, maybe a month yep. ago, uh, yep. and you know Liverpool are streets ahead in the EPL, and we were saying yep. what could happen, what could happen to stop Liverpool from finally breaking this duck, that, that this hoodoo that they've had. <laughs> I don't know if it's actually fair. I don't know if it's a hoodoo length, but it's not like eighty six years. It's or been something. a long time between drinks. It has yeah. been a long time. What yeah. what could possibly stop it? And we were thinking about a whole bunch of different things, and we didn't come up <laughs> with a global. You didn't hand. come up with this. I didn't come up with this at all. And that was a, that's the thing. I guess it shows you where my mindset was at the time. That I, even though you know things were simply going kicking off in China and parts of Southeast mm. Asia, and um, maybe it was starting to become a little bit of a problem in Italy. But uh, I hadn't even considered that this would be something that could stop football. Um, but for those Liverpool fans out there, and some of them, oh. some of them are listening to this show right now. Um, they, oh, yes, some of them, some of them definitely are. Yeah, they must be uh, reading into the decisions that are coming out of UEFA. Because I just feel like that UEFA, as the governing body of European football, will essentially set the tone for yes. all of the domestic leagues for them to make a decision. I don't think any of the domestic leagues particularly mm. want to make a call on that. Yeah. Um, and, and part of the problem, I guess, is that they just don't know how long this will last for. So when is it appropriate uh, to resume sport? Um, in- and, and even if they do, I mean, traditionally the season for, for Liverpool ends around mid-May. I mean, if we're, I mean, if we're back in July, August, do they think, OK, we'll quickly finish off this season and then start a new one pretty much on the back of it? Or do they just write that previous season off and move on? These are all the, the questions that are, are, left, are left unanswered. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, it's the same thing for, that I'm going through and you're going through yes, and, and everyone else of the green persuasion are going through is that, <laughs> you know, it takes... I don't, regardless of what people think about Scottish football, it takes so long to build up eight league championships yes. in a row. In order to win eight, you have to win seven. In order to win seven, yes. you have to win... Like, yes. I, it would be like playing some... I'm not a video game person by any stretch of the imagination, but it would be like... I, I can only think about the game I did play when I was in college, and that was um, uh, Doom. It would be like getting through all 15 <laughs> levels of Doom, and you're at the final stage, and you're about to kill the final monster, and the power goes out, and you didn't yeah. save the game I don't want yeah. to go back to level one. I've it's been, a long way back. It's I've been at it all season. afternoon. I've been at it all afternoon. But in this case, Celtic have been at it for eight and a half years to win, to equal the nine in a row record. And by not being able to finish nine in a row, that means we can't do ten in a row. Mm. And it'll take us at least ten years to get to ten in a row again. Yes. You need a lot to go right to get to 10 in a row again. Yeah, absolutely. You need a lot to go right to get to 10 in a row. Like if yeah. we're thinking that, you know, the, if AFL fans think that it's the cold hand, the cold hidden hand of, 
uh, FIFA that's ruined the <laughs> AFL season, then, you know, um, I think a lot of us will be thinking there's some sort of Masonic uh, <laughs> conspiracy going on here. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them. Um, anyway. But, uh, yes, uh, we live in interesting times, Stephen. Oi, skull. Yeah, bag, drink. <laughs> Sean, it was wonderful to have you back on, or not back on this particular show, but it was wonderful to talk to you again uh, in the podcast format. And Good to hear your voice, great man, and uh, enjoy the pod. And uh... You should give, uh, what's happening with the bottom of the pack? Is, it, uh, you joining, is, there, a, is there any point in giving it a plug? Like, Are you going to, are you, are you going to watch like old reruns of uh, previous grand yeah. finals or something and dissect that? We might just send out best of podcasts. So round four, 2016 was a particularly good one. We'll put that out this week <laughs> and see if our um, social cues from that time hold up in 2020. Mm. Uh, look, now, uh get around us. We're on iTunes and all the rest. Um, you're not sure you're going to be overly inundated with content over the short term, but, uh, yeah, yeah, check us out anyway. <laughs> our, our pre-season... Our pre-season pod, I'm just going to stand by all my prognostications there that they would have they would have all come true had the season gone out. So I'm I'm considering myself batting at 100% from a uh, prediction perspective. The uh, well, if you can't talk about 40, can I direct you to the Belarus Premier League? Uh, I t- awesome <laughs> that's how I, the was ticking over as you brought it up, Stephen. I'm not going to lie to you. Get around it, as they say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Sean, God bless you. Be safe and to you and to your family. And uh, yes. we'll, we'll maybe talk to you when um, sport resumes. Good man. All the best to everyone out there. Take care.